Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Blurb, where the back of a book meets a discerning look. Each week, best-selling author Sally Shields and publishing guru Dr. Kent listen to pitches from five authors vying for Book of the Week honors. Now live, on the air, with vigor and style, are Dr. Kent and Sally, the bibliophiles. Hey there, Sally. How are you doing this week? Are you live? Hey <laughs> Hey there, you live on the air with me? How you doing, Sally? Do, do you hear me now? I do. Oh, good. Oh, everything's everything's great. I really really missed uh, missed you last week. That was kind of a strange glitch that we had. So glad that everything's back up and running now. Yeah, technical difficulties are always fun, and uh, I'm happy that we can do this again. And uh, well, it's you know, two weeks ago we had a great uh, winner, uh, Lisa Jander, and uh, we'll play that blurb later on in the show. And uh, have you been blurbing around lately? Blurbing around? <laughs> what do you, mean? you know, ele- elevator speeching. Oh, oh, okay. I see what you're saying. Actually, you know, I do a lot of that because, and here's something I'd love to tell authors about. There's a service called HARO, H-A-R-O, which stands for Help a Reporter Out. <clears throat> and if you just go to helpareporterout.com, you can sign up for absolutely free, and three times a day in your inbox, you are going to get queries from all over the the, uh, the world, actually, but mainly in the United States, about journalists and media looking for sources, experts and authors, etc. And you got to be really, really good at your elevator speech because there's a lot of wonderful opportunities to get listed and to get exposure from the media just from signing up with Haro. So I would love for all of the listeners here tonight to please go and sign up, and you won't be sorry. It's just an absolutely fantastic resource, great resource for us, but you've got to have your elevator pitch down, and that's what we're here to help you with tonight. Well, so, and what we're all about is, is uh, blurbs, uh, and, and the fun thing about this is, uh, you know, the back of a book doesn't really talk to you, and uh, we've got this unique opportunity with this show uh, to get real authors in here uh, really talking about their books. Yeah, that is just so exciting. We've had such a really, really enthusiastic response from a lot of the authors that we have, you know, um, encouraged to um, submit their blurbs to the show. And everyone's real excited about the opportunity, and anybody listening in that has not yet done um, a blurb, we encourage you to check out the, uh, the guidelines at blurbradio.com, and please consider submitting a blurb, because uh, it'll be great practice, and you can just, if you, if you weren't happy with your blurb the first time, there's a wonderful tool called Cinch, and you can just do it over and do it over until you, until you like it. So please consider this a good opportunity to uh, to submit your blurb. We we really want to have you and feature you as an author. Well, and I'd, I'd like to talk about one thing. Uh, kind of starting out the show, uh, we're getting into a, this this season of uh, you know we're coming out of winter hibernation, and uh, you know Mother's Day is coming up, Father's Day is coming up, and and all sorts of uh, book authors are out there thinking, when should I sell my book? When should I put my book out? Uh, and uh, one of the great things about publicity and a bunch of other stuff, what, you know, what does time of year have to do with all this? Well, that's a great question, Dr. Kent, and <clears throat> this is something I'd like to tell everybody out there. One of the most important tools that you can have for yourself in terms of getting free publicity, and I love using that word, free publicity, because the media is there and they're willing to make you as rich and famous as you want. You just have to learn how to pitch them correctly. And when you create a media calendar, and that's what I'm talking about, a media calendar for your particular topic of expertise, this is really important because there are certain times of, there's certain times of year that you can tie in your book to or your topic to. You can really get a lot of great media coverage. That's one of the secrets of getting publicity is finding a time of year that your book or expertise will fit into, or a particular um, annual holiday, for example. You can even, now this is a little-known secret, it's kind of fun, uh, there's something called the Chase Directory of Events, 
and you can actually create your own holiday if you want to. And, uh, you know, somebody beat me to the punch. I didn't even know there was a mother-in-law day until I looked it up on Chase, and lo and behold, there it was. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I can really capitalize on this. And what I decided to do was um, try to create a new uh, wonderful promotion with one of my, my media sponsors, which is 1-800-Flowers, came up with this idea to create a unique Mother-in-Law Day bouquet, which ties into uh, Mother-in-Law Day in October, which also correlates with Breast Cancer Awareness Month. So these are just the kinds of things that we have to do as authors to think outside the box and not just get stuck in the whole you know, paradigm of, oh, we have to get our book in bookstores. The time of that particular paradigm is actually kind of maybe not over, but we have to think outside the box and get creative when it comes to selling our books these days. What do you, what do you think about that? So, so how about this uh, blurb thing? Uh, let's let's listen to, I mean, uh, some some authors giving their own uh, uh, elevator speech blurb, uh, uh, short comment about their book. Uh, we we limit people to three minutes, and uh, it's a really fun thing uh, uh, to do this. Uh, who should we listen to first? Oh, let's see. How about we go with Alan J. Katz? All right, uh, here we go. Alan J. Katz and uh, business category. Blog Talk Radio. Hi, this is Alan Katz, the loyalty coach, author of Addictive Entrepreneurship at AddictiveEntrepreneurship.com. This is a book about workaholic entrepreneurs who want to know how to succeed without having to change their personalities. I was sitting in my computer. My tender, sore eyes glazed over the streaming incoming emails, promising me a fortune if I would only open the message. Each email that crossed the screen screamed for my attention captivating my imagination of what could be. If I would only invest another $5,000 in just one more success system, all of my money problems would be solved and my life would forever be changed for the better. I couldn't stop reading the 30-page sales letter, each paragraph tempting me like a forbidden mistress. The anxiety of decision-making intensified as I continued to read sensational stories of people who became immensely successful almost overnight buying, reading, listening, and being coached by an elusive guru, speaking to them like an electronic county fair barker. My dilemma was real. I had bought what seemed like every self-help book ever published. I attended seminars on everything from neuro-linguistic programming to Google AdWords to Internet marketing, yet my definition of success still eluded me, and yet I was once again faced with a compelling urge to uncover the secret of success. Only this time I was in a downward spiral into despair and confusion. Did I really know enough to trust myself? Or would one more guarantee of success finally make me the fortune I've been desperately seeking? In that moment, I realized that this was more than a dilemma of making the right decision. Could this be more than an obsession? I was addicted to the pursuit. Addictive entrepreneurship is a business meditation guiding you as you weigh both sides of 13 critical character traits entrepreneurs must balance to become more successful today. After all, If you're texting your girlfriend during that important sales meeting, you might be addicted to your cell phone or your email or just to work in general. And if you are, this book will show you step-by-step how to bring balance and clarity back into your life. In this book, I present an anti-get-rich-quick elixir, which takes you on a fabulous journey into my own life as an entrepreneur and how I went from bankruptcy with three children and a newly bought home to selling my business for a half a million dollars. Addictive Entrepreneurship paints life's business lessons with a broad stroke of humor, courage, persistence, creativity, and honesty, maybe a little bit too much honesty, you'll discover the difference between being a workaholic and being addicted to the ecstatic rush of starting and running your own business. It's a deliciously addictive read on your route to mastery. Read a preview and reviews of the book at AddictiveEntrepreneurship.com, How to Achieve Success with Character Traits You Already Have. What do you think, Sally? Okay, well, (laughs) I loved it. Now, here's the thing. I want to make it really clear that because we've been kind of throwing around the term elevator speech at the beginning of the show here, I want to make the distinction between a blurb and an elevator speech because that was an absolutely wonderful blurb. It really, really made me want to read his book. It created curiosity, wanted me to, uh, you know, wanted 
it made me want to learn more about the book. It was very exciting. It was one of these stories of, you know, rags to riches, basically, someone who couldn't make any money, and all of a sudden he was able to make half a million dollars selling his business, and it was absolutely exciting as a blurb. Um, and I'll let you comment, and then I'll talk a little bit more about elevator speeches. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, if he had me stuck in an elevator, it would have to be, it's true, it would have to be a pretty darn tall building to uh, <laughs> get all that in. But uh, if, if I was in a three-minute tall building, uh, maybe, uh, you know, a uh, space-size uh, building, I would be very impressed uh, uh, by what he was saying. I mean, I, I tweeted a couple of things live on Twitter because I like them so much, Um I mean, he he had me uh, with some of the lines he delivered. With uh, um, you know, he clearly uh, labeled his website several times. You know, told us what his uh, who his target audience was. And of course, as an entrepreneur myself, I wanted to pick up uh, his book. Yeah, that was an absolutely wonderful blurb, and it did all of those things. It had it had all of our character. Um, What's the word I'm looking for? I have, I have mommy brain right now. Um, the, what are they called? The characteristics that we're judging these blurbs by? What's the word I'm looking for? Anyway, bling, clarity, information, and delivery. What, what, is, what is that word I'm searching for? I have no idea. <laughs> I, I really don't really – I don't very often have mommy moments. <laughs> okay, well, we came up with these four categories that we were going to judge blurbs by. The, the bling, the clarity, the information, and the delivery. Right. And I believe that it had all of those factors. Um, now, I just did want to speak a little bit to elevator pitches because um, it's a completely different medium than, than a blurb. A good elevator speech could actually be done in 30 seconds or less, probably 15, and most uh, and the, be the best ones are 10 seconds or less because you actually, when you're talking to media or you're calling up a radio station, you only have a few seconds to make an impression. So we're doing something totally different with Blur, but I did just wanted to point out to people that, you know, in order to create a, a, a an actual elevator pitch, you want to distill it down to three simple things, which is basically the na your name, the name of your book, what your vision and message is, and what you can do for their audience, or what problem that you can solve for them. And I don't know if you'd like me to give my, my uh, tried and true uh, <laughs> tired old example here but I can well, if it's if it's if it's tired and old I definitely don't want to hear it <laughs> no it's just that I've given it so far this is week four or five and I think I've given the same elevator pitch each time but isn't that what isn't that what makes a beautiful elevator speech your friends just say give us that elevator speech again yeah and and you know if you know it like the back of your hand like it's your best friend then you're not going to be sitting there stumbling in the elevator when you run into Steven Spielberg so just to give an example of what an elevator pitch might sound like would be something like this. Hi, my name is Sally Shields, and I am the author of The Daughter-in-Law Rules, and my vision is to create more harmony among mothers and daughters-in-law um, around the world. I can reveal to your audience the top three, th three things that every bride and every wife should know in order to create a lifetime of wedded bliss with their husband's mother. So basically, that was like 10 seconds. It was me, the name of my book, what my vision was, and what I could reveal, what problem I could solve. So that is what goes into an elevator spe speech, and that's pretty much it. At the end of that, the, the, the radio host or producer at the other, other end of the line will very quickly tell you whether or not they're interested or not. But they don't really have more time than that. So as well as a blurb, you want to create an elevator speech. And so that's something that I want people to be aware of and something, a skill that, that you should work on. Uh, that took me quite a while to sit down. It's just almost like a puzzle piece. But it has three I, – I was able to basically break it down into three distinct parts, and those are the things that, that I want you to have in your elevator pitches. So. Yeah, and one thing and one thing is, you know, the elevator, you, you have to have sort of in your bag of tricks uh, – all sorts of all sorts of different things. I think, you know, the elevator speech is the one that gets most often used. Uh, and and um, uh, but when that elevator speech uh, happens, and Steven Spielberg says, "Huh," <laughs> and says, "Ooh, that's interesting. Tell me more." That's when right. that's when you might have time to get in your three-minute blurb. That's right. And what you want to do. Um 
that, that I learned through getting media trained, and that's another thing that might be a very important thing for all authors out there to consider doing, getting media trained, is to really learn how to distill your message down into three distinct message points. Because most of the time, the media will have about you know, three to five minutes to give you, and you really have to have three main points. That, that's, what, that's called basically honing your message or speaking in sound bites. You want to have three things, three main message points that you can spew off. For example, Steven Spielberg said, okay, well, give me your top three tips. How can anybody create a lifetime of peace with, with their mother-in-law? And you have to be able to say, well, number one, what you want to do is you have to learn how to make friends with her. And here's the first thing you can do. Make sure that you pick up the phone and call your mother-in-law once a week. But here's the thing. Make sure your husband's not in the house. Okay, so for example, you've got to really have those points, those examples in your back pocket ready to go. So uh, what do you think about the blurbs we've seen so far uh, uh, in these past weeks? Uh, what, what makes a great blurb? I mean, we talked about bling, right? And that yeah. makes a great elevator speech, a great pitch, a great blurb. Uh, and, and uh, you know, bling doesn't have to be something that uh, really sparkles. It can be something very subtle and something, uh, but it has to be uh, something a little bit different. Yeah, it has to be something, you know, what catches the media's attention is coming to your topic with a perspective, a unique perspective. Something that really works well is actually a controversial slant on your topic because, I mean, look, come on, let's face it, everything under the sun has pretty much been written about already. So what's going to excite the media? What's going to interest them? What's going to get people wanting to read your book and getting media wanting to talk about your book. It's going to be something counterintuitive. What can you say that goes against the grain of what people might usually believe? What can you bring to the table that's unique from a unique perspective that somebody might not have thought of before? You know, I'm just trying to think off the top of my head if I can make a silly example or something, um, you know, Learn how spending your money can actually create more, or something like that. Coming up with a counterintuitive statement that will make people go, hmm, I wonder how they do that. That's in, this, in, in a world with so much bling, uh, and, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think of, you know, these flash ads that are all over the place, and they say that even drugstores are going to be filled with uh you know, candy wrappers are going to have LCD screens on them within the next 10 years. You know, everything's <laughs> oh, going to be so flashing funny. at us everywhere. So, you know why uh, I almost don't laugh at that? Because my my three year old knows how to launch YouTube on my iPhone, and he knows how to launch Firefox on my computer. I will come upstairs. I don't know how. He just sneaks upstairs. He launches Firefox, and he's like playing SpongeBob. So. <laughs> It's unbelievable, you know, the, the younger generation, if you, if you, if you will, um, can do these amazing things. So when you tell me that there's going to be LCD on gum wrappers, I kind of think, wow, well, gosh, I'm, I'm not that surprised. <laughs> Cause it, uh, and, and that's the, what's, what's changing about the book industry, um, and uh, that's why I like this show. So let's, let's check out another one. What do you say? Uh, how about uh, Carl R. Sams? Uh, this is a fun one in the children's category. Speaking of children. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, uh, my name is Carl Sams, and I'm a wildlife photographer from Milford, Michigan. And my wife, Jean Stoic, and I uh, did a series of children's books called the In the Woods series of children's books. And we're, our third book has been released called First Snow in the Woods. And that's the book I'd like to talk to you about today. Uh, on the cover of First Snow in the Woods is uh, uh, Dawn Fawn Touching Noses in the Snow. And the fawn's actually experiencing the very first snow of its life. And when the book starts, the, the great gray owl uh, comes down on the north winds and brings uh, the first winter storm to the animals of the forest. And normally he would winter in Canada, but uh, once every five to seven years he comes down and, 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 uh, and he has to find food and he brings winter early in this particular year. And the fawn it's during the peak of fall color, and the fawn gets caught in the snowstorm. Well, as the book begins, the fawn is noticing all these other animals, the groundhogs uh, getting ready for hibernation, and the geese and other animals migrating, and 
uh, other animals making their homes. So when the storm starts, mom's nowhere to be found, and he thinks, you know, he, he's not prepared for winter yet. And, of course, he is, but he doesn't realize it. And uh, he needs to, to listen to that inner voice that tells him what he needs to do, or, or, or really the theme of the book is to follow your heart song. And so in this particular book, you know, we, we wrote it because of, of uh, showing that, you know, kids are, you know, and people are afraid of change, and this one has to ad, uh, adjust to uh, changing things and, and accept it and be able to, to do things in order to survive. Um, the book was released over the last year. The book's uh, got 16 awards, and we're pretty excited about it. One of the awards was the Mom's Choice Award, and uh, another one was from uh, the National Association of Education and Young Children's Conference. It won uh, Early Childhood News. So we do have teachers and, and uh, all across the country that are using our, our books in their classroom, and, and we basically want to teach gentle lessons of nature to kids. And it's all done with wildlife photography, uh, it's real. The kids really seem to like it, and and um, we just hope that we can get kids to, to fall in love with nature so when they grow up in hopes that uh, they can protect it and, and save those special areas. Thank you. Well, i got to say, uh, it was an interesting blurb, and um, I felt almost as if uh, Carl was on the line with us. So there was definitely something to be said for I guess, the intimacy of the way he spoke. Yeah, you know, being a mom, you know, I was excited about the concept of the book. And, of course, when he described it with the fawn touching noses with his mom, and, and then when he told me he got 16 awards, he was a wildlife photographer, and how the message was really that he wanted to teach children of this generation, you know, to, to really respect nature. So although the timbre of his voice didn't necessarily have a lot of bling. He had, you know, a sort, sort of subdued delivery, but he did relay good information with clarity. And I, I would say it was, a, it was a decent blurb. But I would also encourage Carl to maybe, maybe add a little sparkle or bling into the timbre of his voice, just to maybe sound a little bit more, I don't know, Enthusiastic, perhaps. I was just missing a little well, bit. Well, but here's but here's the thing. For me, I felt like I had a window into um, who this fellow was. So, in a sense, I felt it was unique that he spoke in that sort of dry um, uh, uh, Midwestern accent. Well, that's a very good point. I mean, you know, everybody's going to react differently. You, you know, not everybody's going to like the same type of delivery, and people are going to hear it in different ways. Everybody's got different receptors. So that's very interesting. Um, I really admire what he's doing. I, I can't wait to, to get the book and read it to my kids. So I think in that respect that uh, I really uh, enjoyed enjoyed that blurb. And um, You can't – the thing is, once he said wildlife photography, he kind of had me hooked. So I, I – I, you know, with certain topics, uh, you can attract people very quickly. And with other topics, uh, like uh, the other week on the show, we had a fellow who talked about cremation. You know, in a different, <laughs> they're in different categories for sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's for darn sure. Um, yeah, <laughs> you kind of have to laugh because, um, you know, he, he really, that, that guy, Hal, Hal, I believe Hal Stevens, he really wanted, um, is very, very um, committed uh, to his vision of helping families that are going through the grieving process. So that was a tricky topic to do a blurb on and kind of pull people in. But um, I appreciated his vision. And I think everybody, you know, that's out there, and this is the kind of thing that I, I, I'd like to, to mention to people that are listening that perhaps have thought about writing a book but haven't written a book, that really the only two things that you need in order to have a successful book are a passion for your topic, and a sincere desire to help people. And those two things came through loud and clear with both Hal Stevens, I believe, and Carl Sams. So you could tell that they both had a sincere desire to help people with what they were doing as well as a passion for their topic. So, so in that respect, um, those, those are really important elements. And if you have those two elements, you can absolutely have a successful book. So I do commend them both for that. Well, awesome. I, I'm psyched to, to keep moving. We're, we're still in this show. Uh, we're still mixing genres, which makes it fun for us and keeps us on our toes. Uh, we're going to start probably uh, um, switching down to one genre at some point, but for now we're having a great time with this. 
And I, I want to hear uh, um, somebody in the fiction category. It, it's always hard to write a blurb uh, about fiction. What do you think? Oh, yes, indeed. We've had a couple of fiction authors on, and um, a couple of them lost us. <laughs> a couple of them, uh, you know. So, yeah, I'd be, I'd be very interested in hearing, in hearing this one. I believe it's from C.L. Talmadge. Now, forgive, for, forgive me if I'm wrong, but was this, is this C.L. Talmadge? Is this the, uh, the 12-year-old girl that wrote this book? I'm it could sure. well be. Um, you might know more than I. Should okay. we see? Should we see if it says in the blurb yeah, let's, itself? Let's see. Let's see. Now, if it is a twelve-year-old girl, that should be the first thing she says. Yes. <laughs> let's hear. Let's hear. Love Talk Radio. She can keep her legs shut, but not her lips. She is Lieutenant Helen Andros, outspoken first-generation heroine of the Greenstone of Healing series. This speculative fiction saga blends action-adventure, palace intrigue, the paranormal, and undying romance as favorite characters reincarnate on their spiritual journeys. Four generations of strong women inherit a gem with hidden potentials. The women and their jewel play a critical role in trying to stave off the demise of Asgard, the world's most powerful country. They offer a healing, inclusive alternative to theocrats who seek total domination. The tale begins at what seems like the ending. Lady Mary Atlas and her followers are refugees in a submarine. Sheltering under the sea from global annihilation, Lady Mary grieves for all those who are dead and all that is now lost. She is visited by Magari, member of an otherworldly race called the Mistweavers. With his encouragement, Lady Mary launches the story of Helen, her dearest friend, and of Helen's descendants, so that those who follow might learn to avoid catastrophic destruction. Helen is an orphan, an illegitimate, despised half-breed. She also has a gift of healing beyond her skills as a military physician. She wears about her neck a green stone, a present from her Tronian mother, with capabilities that Helen does not yet comprehend. In the vision, book one, Helen becomes entangled in political machinations that almost cost her life. She learns her father's true identity as one of Asgard's most powerful Toltec lords. Thanks to Magari, the vision of ultimate devastation and hope that motivated Helen's mother is also revealed. And even though Helen's life is spared, she is no longer safely obscure. The state-sanctioned Temple of Kronos will stop at nothing to have her slain. Nor is Helen happy. In Book 2, Fallout, her mouth gets her into trouble repeatedly. She and her father are thrown together, ripped apart, and thrown together again. It's the age-old story of love pitted against power and fear. By the end of book three, The Scorpion Strike, Helen is marked for death by the temple and must leave her father's home to take shelter among strangers. In book four, Outcast, Helen learns from Magari how to wield mystical energies for healing and protection. Her life and the history of Asgard will never be the same now that Helen knows what her gem can help her do. I am C.L. Talmadge, author of this series. I am also a national political columnist syndicated by North Star Writers Group. I have written for newspapers, magazines, the web, and wire services during a career that began in 1976. Wow, let me say this. That was certainly not by a 12-year-old. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I don't know if anyone can hear me. I was kind of laughing over that first part. You know, I, I realize now why I thought C.L. Talmadge was the 12-year-old, because the 12-year-old, I just looked it up, was J.K. Hawkins. So I knew that there was, like, like the girl had, like, she was using the first two initials of her name. So that's why I got mixed up. Well, but, that, but you know, it, was, it, it, it definitely added to the shock value of her blurb, <laughs> I have to say. Yeah, the first sentence, I was like, that was too funny, actually. Well, and, and I think the whole the whole blurb, you know, I'm I'm used to fiction uh, blurbs being a little dry, and actually most uh, fiction <laughs> books being a little dry. There's so many books in the fiction category that you have to really stand out from the crowd. And this one, you know, I was pretty excited by it. Uh, if you know, if I were uh, uh, more into science fiction than I am, uh, I'd be really pumped by it because you you know it's promise of the first book with tons of action in the second and the third. What do you think? Yeah, I mean that that's something that people who are authors should should be thinking about even before they write their book. They should be thinking about serial serializing their books because that is what's really going to brand you and make you into a sort of a household name. So just the fact that she has sort of serialized her her book 
is is a very very important uh, marketing tool. So, and uh, you know, in in the fiction category, how do you stand out from the crowd? I mean, you know, the front cover, the back cover. I mean, how do you get your book on the shelves? Wow. Well, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna turn that question over to you. I'm I'm kind of scratching my head on that one because I am really dealing with nonfiction authors, you know, almost every day. And I really have not cracked that nut yet, but I think that you have a good handle on on both sides of the fence. So, so how would you answer that question? Well, I, I like thinking about it, um, but, uh, you know, there's something like uh, a couple hundred thousand uh, fiction books published every year, which, which people might not realize, in this country alone, and, and that adds up after a while. Um, and uh, most most fiction, uh, you know, it's 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 so much contrived out of the author's imagination that you can you can kind of go wrong, you know, <laughs> uh, picking just picking up a random fiction book. So I think uh, there's there's an element of security in the cover. You know, you you look at the front cover and think, oh, okay, this looks this looks fun. Um, uh, if the cover doesn't look uh, <laughs> uh, secure and safe and fun, you might you might just turn right away from the book. Well, that's a good point. That's a very good point. I mean, look, you know, people always say don't judge a book by its cover, but people do judge a book by its cover in the book world, <laughs> which is kind of ironic. Right, so, and, well, and yeah. people even judge a book by its spine. <laughs> that is even more true. I mean, my gosh, it just reminds me of, you know, you might have like a centimeter to make an impression on people. And it's so funny, this is maybe a little bit of a non sequitur, but I, you know, I recently found out that, you know, everybody who has a book dreams about being, you know, on the table at the front of the bookstore or, you know, you're, you're walking by an airport uh, bookstore and you see that book, you know, that book in the, in the window and that, you know, that New York Times bestseller and you think about, you know, having your book there at a bookstore and you're always thinking about it being on that front table. Well, most books don't make it to the front table. And what I found out was that people, uh, publishing companies, the big publishing companies, uh, does any, I'm going to say, does anyone want to take a guess? Anyone in the chat room want to take a guess at how much it costs to put your book on a front table in a bookstore such as a Barnes & Noble? Do, do you happen to know the figure of that, Kent, Dr. Kent? I don't know, but I know it's a whole bunch. And, uh, Give it a shot. I, I, I'd, be, I'd be interested in just having do, you... Do you know the number? Yep, I know the number. Uh, well, I think an outrageous sum would be about, what, 50 grand? All right, check this out. $180,000 per square inch. Wow. Square inch? Yes, per square inch. And now that means every store in the country. That is what a Barnes & Noble charges. Per square inch? Per square Man, that's That's inch. probably even more money than your house costs in New York. Oh, indeed it is. I mean, we're talking... <laughs> Not much more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true, but I mean, my goodness. So, so when you talked about spine space, you know, having to make an impression with your spine, that's no joke because, you know, you're really not, unless you're with a random house and you're like Deepak Chopra and they're putting you out there on the, on the front table, you literally have to make an impression with your spine. Do you have Chopra envy? <laughs> no, I'm so proud of Dr. Deepak Chopra. I, I, I absolutely love him. He's my my biggest hero. Well, let's listen to, um, speaking of wellness and health and wellness, uh, let's, let's listen to Cami Gray's uh, blurb. Very good transition. <laughs> Here we go. Hi, this is Cami Gray, author of The Denim Diet, 16 Simple Habits to Get You into Your Dream Pair of Jeans. As a TV wardrobe stylist, I believe a dream pair of jeans can be a great motivator for losing weight and keeping it off. I don't trust the bathroom scale, but a pair of jeans will never lie. I ought to know. I've spent 22 years cultivating a way of eating that makes sure my favorite jeans will always fit. But that wasn't always the case. At age 19, my jeans were six sizes larger than they are today, and I was diagnosed with high blood pressure and put on medication. Then I had an epiphany, which you will hear all about in the denim diet. I created a no-nonsense blueprint for reaching and maintaining my ideal healthy body weight in 16 easy-to-remember habits to make and habits to break. My habits have worked flawlessly for me for over two decades, including effortlessly losing the baby weight after the birth of my two children, now 19 and 17. 
How awesome would it be to develop 16 simple habits and lose the excess weight, have more energy, look and feel great, and get into those dream pair of jeans? But I have a confession to make. The denim diet isn't a diet book. Don't tell anyone. I know it's in the title to my book, but I'm not a fan of the word diet. It implies that for a temporary period of time, your lifestyle habits will need to change dramatically in order for you to achieve weight loss. Instead of dictating a diet, I'll teach you how to replace your old habits with new ones, easily and effortlessly. Oh, in my book, it's funny. I promise you'll laugh out loud, and probably at me, not with me, as I share my own embarrassing stories. I don't stop there, though. Oh, no. I share other people's stories as well. With the exception of my sister, who I repeatedly throw under the bus, I don't divulge any names because I didn't exactly get anyone's permission. Some of these stories are humorous. A few are inspirational. Others provide living examples of weight loss success, and one is a dramatic life lesson in what not to do. I've tried to create a book that's more intimate, sensible, and understanding. Just like you, I'm a real person. I'm happy to share my own experiences, issues, triumphs, and setbacks. You'll also find a detailed grocery list, a 44-page recipe section, my top 10 tips for dressing slimmer, and a four-page summary, kind of a cheat sheet, of the 16 habits to make and habits to break. The Denim Diet is available on Amazon and other online booksellers and in bookstores everywhere. Go to thedenimdiet.com for more information. All right. What do you think? <laughs> well... <laughs> I'm a little biased toward this book, actually, <laughs> being a mom with a three- and a six-year-old and wanting to fit into my pair of jeans that I used to wear in high school. Boy, I'm ready to run out and get this book right now. Well, and, and uh, <laughs> she talked about the word diet. Um, uh, she even said about her own book. Uh, I like how she said, well, here's my title, and then she was able to keep talking about the title by saying, I don't like the word diet. And in any great branding, uh, uh, the more times you use the word, the more the more people are hooked. Absolutely. I, and I like the fact that she said it was funny, she was relatable, um, no-nonsense blueprint, 16 easy-to-remember habits, effortlessly losing the baby weight. See, okay, what she's doing here is she's including benefits, okay? You need to know the what's in it for them, W-I-F-M. What's in it for them? Did I say that right? W-I-F-T. What's in it for them? You have to come up with your personal list of 25 benefits. You, you don't want to talk about necessarily you know, the features of your book. There's difference between the features, what the book has in it, versus the benefits, which is why what the person is going to get out of your book, you know what, what? How is it going to benefit them? That so you're talking about so features and benefits, and yeah. that makes a good blurb. Um, well, we we want to concentrate on the benefits rather than the features. Uh huh. We want to, con you know, for example, a car. You know, the features of the car it, that it might have beautiful leather seats, but the benefits of that is that you know you're going to have a nice, smooth, you know. Uh, heated place in the winter to sit and maybe a feature of the car would that it has a um well give me an example of a feature versus a benefit me like for example in a, in a car for example like okay can you think of like a feature well a benefit is that it gets me where i'm going right okay or, it, or it, when i roll the window down it it uh makes me feel cooler <laughs> okay perfect so, you know, you could say that a feature would be that it has these smooth electric windows, but the benefit is that you can roll them down quickly and that you get a nice breeze. Exactly. I mean, obviously, great examples off the top of my mommy brain, tired tired brain at this hour of the night. Um, but but you get the, the point is that you want to make, you want to explain how the book is going, what are the things that the people are going to get out of reading the book? I mean, to me, like the benefit, wow, okay, I'm going to be able to fit into my old pair of jeans. That is, that's great. Okay, she's got these 16 um, uh, habits, but they're easy to remember. Okay, and yes, she's got us losing weight effortlessly. Okay, that's a benefit. It's going to be effortless. So she really had this down in terms of, of, of telling the reader what the benefits were, and I really, really liked that, and that grabs the, um, grabs the listener's attention. 
And what I liked what I liked about it is uh I know enough about the book industry to know how to market uh uh self help books and, and you market them as if it's the brand new way to change your life and, and every book uh, has a different way of doing that. And what I liked about her is that she said, Well, you know, the word diet is horrible and then she really described uh um in detail, you know, once she hooked you, she described that it's not just about uh you know, a temporary change and this fad and that fad, and I thought she did that very well in, in this short amount of time. That's great. Now, listen, I, I noticed that we have our wonderful winner waiting for us on the line. Should we fit in our fifth blur before we get to, to Lisa? Yeah, let's listen to, uh, we have a business uh, blurb uh, before we get to her by Diana Hathaway-Timmons. You want to listen to it? Sounds good. All right. Blog Talk Radio. Forensic vacuuming? No, it's not a new TV drama about crime-solving housekeepers. It's just one of the intriguing ideas you'll find in Sell Your Home Without Losing Your Zen, a month of encouragement for modern home sellers. My own house was model home perfect, priced right in a gorgeous neighborhood, and still it sat on the market for months. As a designer and lifestyle expert, I was humiliated. How could this happen to me? I did everything right. Was I stressed out? You betcha. Me and five million other home sellers. Then one day I realized I couldn't control the housing market, but I could control whether or not I survived it. This is Diana Hathaway-Timmons. I wrote Sell Your Home Without Losing Your Zen for myself and for the millions of other home sellers who have been cast adrift in this unprecedented market. The book is a smash hit with home sellers as a gift for clients or friends who need a bit of humor, useful tips, and lots of encouragement as they sell their home. You'll learn the top 10 signs you've become obsessed with selling your home, why wabi-sabi is not a spicy mustard, and all about the power of cookies. Sell Your Home Without Losing Your Zen is unlike any book you've read about selling your home. It's an instruction manual, a good laugh, and a tonic for the most challenging days as a home seller. Look for Sell Your Home Without Losing Your Zen on Amazon.com and other fine booksellers, or visit KeepYourZen.com for more information. The process of selling your home won't change, but you will, and that change will make all the difference in keeping your cool while your home is on the market. Well... Uh, I've never had a home on the market, uh, but I do know uh, from uh, the many homes my parents sold as a kid, uh, it's a pretty stressful time, uh, you know, so I think this is a, definitely a timely book. Indeed. I mean, a lot of people are trying to buy and sell simultaneously, and the new home that you've got your eyes set on is contingent upon selling the old home, and <clears throat> not an easy thing to do. But it, uh, but I, I, wasn't, I wasn't all that impressed uh by the blurb, although although it was it was very well done, uh, it's just that um, I, I felt like I didn't get the features of the book well enough. I didn't I didn't I didn't really figure out um, how it would help me. I understood that it would help me, and I got the title, and I liked that, but I, I didn't quite get it. Yeah, what, I think what you mean is you didn't get the benefits, or maybe we didn't get the features or the benefits. Um, she did talk a little bit about the features. Um, you know, the book had, uh, it was going to, you know, keep, help you keep your cool, and, well, maybe that was, now I'm getting confused. I think, <laughs> she, <laughs> I think she was missing, yeah, I wanted to know a little, I wanted her to give me a little bit of an idea about exactly how she was going to help us keep our zen. Like, it was almost like the whole thing was a mystery. It was almost like, here's the name of my book, read my book, and you'll find out. But in order to be a good guest on the radio, you've got to at least give up something. You've got to give a couple nuggets away to create some curiosity and get people hooked and more interested in what you have to say. I felt like I didn't get anything. It wasn't I didn't really know what she was going to tell us or how she was going to help us keep our zen. Well, but but it was a it was a you know uh, a neat concept um, and uh, although I'm not into the Zen concept myself, I think I think uh, she definitely uh, has a great market for that book. So, but let's yeah. let's let's bring back our winner from last week, um, and uh, I'm excited about that, uh, Lisa Jander. 
uh, is going to be on the air with us in just a second. But before that, uh, why don't we play her blurb uh, uh, from last week? What do you think? Oh, that would be wonderful. All right. Have you ever wondered why very few teens fail driver's ed and millions fail at dating? I was sitting at the kitchen table signing my 15-year-old son's driver's ed log when he leaned over my shoulder and said, I can't wait till I have my license and I can date. Well, he was initialing the driving contract he was picturing dating freedom. After my wheel stopped spinning, I realized I was completely unprepared for either one of my teens to travel down that road. They were both accelerating towards the dating highway without a permit and headed for the concrete wall of a dating disaster. I interviewed other parents and teens, and the findings were grim. Pregnancies, drugs, alcohol, betrayal, depression, failing grades, all wrapped up in a truckload of broken hearts. I had to do something radically different. Flipping through the driver's ed manual, I thought about how different my dating years would have been if I myself had owned a manual for dating, something that could steer me away from all the dating collisions I'd had as a teen. My parents were worried about my driving safety when they should have been equally concerned about dating safety. After all, at Sweet 16, I was revved up for both. It's every parent's nightmare. Teens pass driver's ed, why not dater's ed? So I decided to use my life coach certification, 25 years of public speaking experience, and four years as the director of a dating service in California to write a manual to help other parents prepare for and navigate through the teen dating years. The book is called Dater's Ed, the instruction manual for parents, and it draws analogies between dating and driving. Dater's Ed is to dating what driver's ed is to driving. Together, families define boundary lines, talk about dating under the influence, and even determine who is a teen salesman and who is part of their pit crew. This book is a must if you want to learn how to help your student to date defensively, navigate safely, and steer clear of unhealthy relationships. Buckle up, parents. It's the law of attraction. Well, I'm excited, uh, and I think Sally is as well, to welcome uh, Lisa Jander back onto the show, but live this time. Hi, guys. Hey, Lisa. How are you? Thank you so much for for being here in spite of the glitch last week you kindly put aside time for us and couldn't get on the show so thanks not so a much problem for, <laughs> for coming Lo- back no problem gotta love technology so what's it like listening to your own winning blurb again there it's awful <laughs> <laughs> you know you critique it much much more critically time and time again but well and it's 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 a constant it's in a constant state of improvement and that's what's so great about it Absolutely, absolutely. So, so tell us about tell us more about uh, what you're doing for the book, and uh, uh, and uh, you've got more than uh, you know just uh, uh, an elevator speech here. But tell us about the whole process that's going on. Okay, great. Well, I think you've touched on a few things earlier. Uh, you were talking a lot about branding, and that's really where I'm coming from with kids. I watch them in and out of high school, and they don't realize what they're doing to brand themselves as a particular um, type of person that you would get involved in a relationship with, and they're really just headed on a crash course because they don't understand the message they're sending. And these kids have absolutely no idea what kind of curriculum it takes and practice and to get relationships right. And I do a lot of work with teens in talking with them in certified life coaching. I do a lot of work with them in talking about when someday when they have a job interview. And when they have a job interview, that's a relationship. How do you have a conversation? These kids are so accustomed to text messaging and the quick talk, it's really difficult for them. So the concept of the book is to get the parents more involved in the seat, just like you do with driver's ed, get in the car, and log some hours and help them learn how to be really good at relationships. Well, well and how about in the headlines all over the place right now is this sexting uh, stuff. I mean, I, every every magazine I pick up is talking about this, uh, and that, that's right in the middle of what you're talking about uh, with the texting and the relationships and teens. 
Right, absolutely. I have a quote that I made up that now is circulating as, as fact, but it really isn't. But it's just really thought-provoking, and I'll give it to you. And it's part of my elevator speech, which is this. Did you know that less than 1% of teens engage in sexual activity or substance abuse in the presence of adults? Hmm. They they don't. They just don't. You know, when you're in the car with your when you're with your teenager, they've got their hands at 10 and 2 and they're watching the speed limit and they turn on their turn signal. The minute you get out of the car, guess what? Pedal hits the floor, they're talking on their cell phone and they're whipping around the corners on two wheels. So that's the reality is that parental supervision, adult supervision is really just a great way to keep kids. Now, we obviously, we can't watch them 24-7, but I give a whole lot of instances in the book where we really have an opportunity to engage more in the process and be there for part of what I call logging hours as they're learning about, uh, they're getting to know somebody we don't know. It's just like driving a new car. Every new car is a different, has different, um, you know, it drives differently, I guess. And so, how do we know that this new person that they're dating, for instance, is really going on the same road that they're going on? I'll give you an example. My daughter and I were driving in the car. Um, she was in driver's ed, and I said, what does the yellow line mean down the road? And she said, well, that means do not pass. And I said, yeah, now relate that to dating. What, that, what would that mean to you? And she goes, well, there's a boundary line. You don't cross it. Don't make a pass at me. And I said, okay, what happens when there's a solid yellow line on your side and dotted on the other side. And she said, well, that means he can pass, but I can't. And I said, how do you know that the boy that you're dating wasn't raised in a home where he was told it's okay? So you can have these conversations, and there's all these visual cues while you're out on the road, all kinds of signs. You talk about what happens when the bridge is out, what happens, um, you know, detour, all of these kinds of things, salesmen and pit crew. So it's just really a, a... a talking point, uh, to be able to really engage with your teen, teach them how to be in a healthy relationship, and get away from the culture that we're in, which is just, you know, driving blind, basically. Hmm. And how about, uh, you know, Sally has got a couple of little ones. Uh, is that strike fear into your heart, Sally? <laughs> you know, it's funny. It's uh, not yet. I mean, they're so young, three and six. I, I don't even want to think about the reality. But th- this is maybe a tiny bit of a non-sex tour, but because I'm a marketer, I just want to point out to any authors that are listening, when you told us that, that your elevator speech and you told you when you asked that question, can you can you do that again? Sure. The, the question that I gave you, that yeah, did you know? the question that you labeled as your elevator speech. Oh, okay. Uh, did you know that less than 1% of teens engage in sexual activity or substance abuse in the presence of adults? Okay. Now, that is beautiful, but it's, it's not labeled as an elevator speech. That's labeled as a hook. That is your hook, and that is what every successful author needs to come up with in order to grab the media's attention or, you know, the reader's attention. It's almost like the first line on the back of your book. So I just wanted to point that out, that it is a fabulous, fabulous hook. So do you have, is is a hook also the first uh, statement of an elevator speech there? Uh, No, no, totally. A hook is totally different. A hook is completely different. A hook is almost like what you would hear right before a commercial break on Oprah. Like, um, you know, coming up, um, coming up what parents need to know about teens and sexuality. Or coming up... um, how many people, you know, what, the, the hook is, is, is almost like what you, you know, something to keep the, peop, the people watching TV from turning off the television. How many people does it take to juggle 100 watermelons? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, stay right, tuned, right? <laughs> well, so, um, yeah. well and, and what do you, you know, uh, Sally, what, what do you do, um, you know, to, to, to put a hook into good use? Oh, well, basically what it's going to be is it's going to be at the top of any press release. It's going to be at the top of any media release that you send out to radio stations or your local newspaper or any kind of um, uh, publication or media outlet that you want to get attention in, Uh, any kind of television show, radio show. That is where you're going to have to have a good hook that's going to go on the top of your media release. 
going to have you know, three to five bullet points about what you can reveal to their audience and what you can talk about. And that's something I help people develop their media releases and how to get that distilled down into a very quick, very uh, exciting little, you know, um, I guess it's just called a media release that will get them hooked, and it should be in bold typeface. So um, that hook that you just gave, you know, if you're going to be trying to get more radio shows, that should be standing out in bold and a large typeface right at the top of your of your media release. Can I ask a quick question? Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah, because the, the, what I have at the, on the back of my book is kind of my, I call it my tagline, which could be the hook as well, and it's on all my email and everything, which is this, very few students fail driver's ed, millions fail at dating. Should it be more in a, a question format then? I like that. I mean, uh, you know, that, to me that reminds me of, you know, uh, <laughs> you know the the line that people also use about, uh, you know, teens are allowed to to have babies but not drive. You know, the uh, I, I I like it. It hooks me. Um, that's another hook, right, Sally? That's, that's a definite hook. You know, another way to get around that kind of a thing is to have the hook and then to have a subtitle. So you can have, like, you know, how I became an Amazon.com bestseller. Uh, Sally Shields will reveal to your audience five easy tricks to bringing your book to the top of the bestseller list on Amazon. So in other words, um, a how-to statement could be good. And then a little, it's almost like your title and your subtitle. You've got to think of your hook and then your, your subtitle for your hook. So you can have, you have, like, room for two different sentences. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, a question is good or a how-to is good, but something to create curiosity. Yeah, and that's what I love to do is just really get people thinking. Yeah, well, and, and and at this at this point, we'd love to give you a second to um, tell everybody where to find your book. Uh, yet again, on the spot, uh, you've got about, uh, I guess, about 45 to 60 seconds. Where can we find you and uh, check out the book and all that? Great. Well, thank you. I You can find me on my website is the best place because they, I have some additional resources there, and the website's very simple. It's www.datersed.com. And there's also, I have two blogs that uh, I do what I call the one-minute weekly tune-up. And I do have an RSS feed, Facebook, and Twitter, but the two blogs are um, Mama Jander, they Call me Mama J, so mamajander.blogspot.com and datersed.blogspot.com. Those are one is a parent's blog and one is a teen blog, and I really speak to a specific topic that ties directly into a, something that I found in the news or something that's an image that I saw and ties into the rationale be, between why you shop for cars and do things with cars and driving that you would want to also implement into your dating life to make it healthy. And uh, is here's a question, uh, and we're kind of out of time, but now, <laughs> what if now if I had a teenager that I just didn't want to date at all? Is that just a bad idea? That's just a bad idea. Well, it's going to happen, but here's the reality. There's, I'll tell you, tell you real quickly three things. The way kids learn to drive is this. They watch for years and years and years, they practice, and then they go solo. Even, Sally, your little kids, three and six years old, they're watching and learning. So even if you tell them no, they'll figure out a way to do it without you knowing. So it's best to just get in the car with them and be a part of the process because otherwise they'll steal the keys. That is so wise. Thank you. That's That's why I'm going to be on Oprah. Oh, I I don't doubt it. Keep that dream. Keep saying those affirmations, and you can get there. Thank you. (laughs) I appreciate that. Well, it's been a real pleasure hanging out uh, here on Blurb with Sally Shields and uh, the winning author of last week, uh, Lisa Jander. Uh, We wish you a ton of success, and uh, thank you to all the folks that uh, submitted Blurbs for this week. If you didn't get on this week, you might well get on next. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much, Lisa. Have a beautiful week. And uh, Sally, uh, what do you think? Uh, what are you going to be working on this week? 
Oh boy. Well, you know, I had my internet down for a couple for a couple of days due to some kind of electrical storm. So unfortunately, my my email inbox got inundated um, as I couldn't clear it out for a couple of days. So I've got about 700 emails to go through. So um, that's pretty much what's on the agenda for me this week. I know it sounds silly, but kind of needs to be done. Cool. How about yourself? Well, the um, same. Uh, coming back from out of town and excited to attack those emails as well and we hope we get a ton more uh we're off the air now but uh if you are listening to this that means you are listening to us in our archive and that's awesome and uh we hope to see you uh next week again uh with with me dr kent and sally shields thanks so much dr kent we'll talk to you next time should we do the outro music anyway i like to hear why not we love it <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for tuning in to Blurb. Check us out at blurbradio.com. And you could be featured next week as Blurb Book of the Week. Talk to you next week, Sally. Take care, Dr. Kent.